Hey, my name is Brianna, and you're listening to the FCC Grayson Podcast. God is doing some incredible things here at First Church. To learn more about FCC and maybe plan your visit, head on over to FCCGrayson.com. We hope today's message gives you hope, inspires, and encourages you in your walk with God. Let's dive into today's message. This morning, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn into the book of Ephesians. We are going to remain in Ephesians chapter 5 today, and we're going to be talking about walking in light. So that's going to be our theme this morning, what we're talking about. We talked about last week as we began chapter 5 of walking in love. And we looked at verses 1 and 2 of how Paul was giving this direct command of being imitators of God. And he talked about the way that these things happen, the way that being an imitator of God or someone who mimics God or someone who follows God's example Uh, According to which translation you have, I know that those are three uh, different phrasings that you will find in the translation, and they're all uh, accurate on, on levels. But he says, be like God, imitate God, mimic God, do as God does. And then he gives us the command of a couple ways to do this, and that's walking in love. He shows us the love that the Father had for us. And then he goes on to talk, he went on to talk about loving the way that Christ loved us. And we kind of went back a little bit into the last part of chapter 4 and talked about being kind, being tenderhearted, being forgiving, that God had given us this blueprint of our love for one another, which is to be based off of his love for us and that he was forgiving, that he, he's tenderhearted, he's merciful, he's graceful to us and he wants us to extend that same love to one another and then he goes into we're going to be reading verses 3 through 14 here in just a moment and he talks about some of the ways that we uh, can achieve this again but he goes back into a little bit more of the negative then reinforced with the positive he goes back into a past versus a present He goes back into this battle that all of us face on a daily basis, and that's the battle between our flesh and the Spirit of God that dwells in us as believers. So let's go ahead and read that today. Chapter 5 out of the book of Ephesians, starting with verse 3. It says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetedness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetedness, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, Do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. 
for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Pray with me this morning, if you would. Father, be with us in this time. Allow your word to do its perfect work in our hearts and in our lives. God, I pray that you would meet each and every one of us that hears this word at exactly the place where you need to meet us. Father, I pray right now that all of our ears would be open to hear what you have to say as we look to your scripture and expound on it and begin to try to dig deeper into it. God, I pray that all hearts are challenged and touched this morning. Father, I pray right now for myself that, Lord, that you would speak through me, use me as your vessel. Father, inspire me through your Holy Spirit to speak the words that are right, that are true, and that are holy that you want us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see Paul kind of coming out here, and he begins to list some of the things that don't even need to be associated with believers. Some of the things that don't even need to even be crossing our minds or associated with us whatsoever. So he starts with some of the negative things that many of us still struggle with on a daily basis, no matter how long that we are serving Christ or how long we've been his and given our hearts to him and and, and called upon him as our Lord and Savior. And I think what we struggle with the most in our day-to-day walk with God is living from our place of true identity. Because that's the enemy's number one battle in your life. And the one thing that he would love to be able to keep you from doing is living in your identity in Christ Jesus. There's always a battle waging inside of us in regards to our identity and who we truly and who we really are. And it's nothing new. It's not something that you and I are facing now for the first time in the annals of history. It's not something that we're going to face tomorrow that's never been faced before. Actually, the battle for our identity as sons and daughters of God began whenever man was created. Whenever God placed mankind in the Garden of Eden, it was at that point that the battle for identity began. I've got a couple of scriptures here. I want us to go back and I want to reemphasize, I want to emphasize this point. In Genesis chapter 1, in verses 26 and 27, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth verse 27 so God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them so here we have this verse that's telling us that our likeness our image Our identity in the way that God created mankind is in his likeness. So therefore, 
our original created identity is in the likeness of God. Now, if we'll look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So here's the original temptation. This is the original lie and the original deception. It didn't come against finances. It didn't come against the amount of food that they had. It didn't come against necessarily their relationship to one another. It didn't come from a sexual immorality or a sexual impurity standpoint. The original battle that each and every one of us continues to face is the battle over our identity. And that's when Satan said, that's when the serpent said, did God really say that? Did he say that? that no, 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 no. Here's why God didn't. God doesn't want you to be like him because he knows that if you eat of this, then you're going to be just like him. You see, what Satan was effective in doing in that moment was that he convinced Adam and Eve that they were not something that they actually were because they were made in the image and the likeness of God. And he convinced them that they were something else. And I believe that that is a battle that you and I face moment by moment, day by day, is this battle of who are we in Christ Jesus. Now keep in mind, this incident that we just read about in Genesis chapter 3 took place in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't like Adam and Eve snuck out of their window one night when mom and dad wouldn't catch them and they went somewhere that they wasn't supposed to go. They didn't leave or flee the garden in hopes to come back in. They were still in the midst of God's created perfection here on earth, which was the Garden of Eden at that point. And even in the midst of this perfect situation, this perfect surroundings, this perfect atmosphere, they were still battling for their identity. And that's something that we still struggle with today. And I don't know if you have recognized it or not, but we don't necessarily live in a culture that mirrors the Garden of Eden. I don't think we live in perfection, do we? Think that we can notice a thing or two wrong. If, and, and we somewhat get discouraged sometimes, if we begin to face the enemy in the middle of a fallen and sin-filled world. Folks, if Adam and Eve had to face the enemy in the midst of perfection, then you and I are going to face it in the midst of a sin-filled world. So don't go around thinking that just because you're facing trials, that you're facing temptations, or that you're facing hardship, that all of a sudden that God is punishing you. That's a lie straight from the enemy because he's wanting to get your focus off of God. 
But let's look at this identity because Paul tells us about identity in this passage that we read in Ephesians chapter 5. Actually, verse 8 says this, For at one time you were darkness. Notice the phrasing there. Paul didn't say for one, at one time you were in darkness. No, you were darkness. As a believer, as a redeemed son and daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, there has been an identity change that's happened. There's been a switch because each and every one of us once were darkness. You weren't just in darkness. You were darkness. And we see that language in Romans that, you know, while we were still in sin, God loved us. Christ loved us. He still yet loved us. Our very nature before conversion, before salvation, works against the very light that we're getting ready to talk about. So if we have an enemy, which we do, that wants to destroy us, which he does, John 10, 10, Jesus said the enemy comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Then he is not satisfied with you living a life for Jesus Christ. He doesn't want that. And he'll do whatever he can to keep you from living that life to its fullest. So you once were darkness. You once were sin. You once were lost. You once were separated from God. God bound for an eternity in hell, apart from him, completely and totally, forever. But then there was a change that happened. He says in verse 8 also, but now you are light in the Lord. So this Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a battle for identity. This is a battle not only for purpose. It's a battle not only for what God wills and desires for your life. This is a very foundational battle for your identity as children of light. And Paul gives us, you can, we can kind of break this down into three different sections in this passage of Scripture. And as we see in the first few, we're instructed to exalt God and not exalt idols. So here's, here's what I mean by, by idols. Verse 3 begins by saying, but sexual immorality, all impurity, covetousness, must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which are out of place, but instead... Let there be thanksgiving. Now, I'm not going to break down because there's, there's six things here that he talks about that takes us away from Christ and our identity in him. And I'm not going to break down every one of them, but I do think that we need to pay attention to some of these that he hits here. He talks about sexual immorality, sexual impurity. Now, while there's, there's all kinds of individual sexual sins that are listed throughout Scripture, this passage is indicating kind of a broad brush statement of anything that is sexually impure, anything 
that is beyond God's design within the marital covenant with your spouse of sexual activity, anything beyond that falls into the category of sexual impurity. And yes, that means adultery. But yes, that also means thoughts. That also means images. That also means what you see, what conversation you entertain, what, what you're dwelling on. The Greek word here for sexual immorality is porne. Does it sound familiar? Pornography? So this goes beyond. Again, Jesus raised the standard. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. He raised the bar and the standard on what was considered righteous and what was considered acceptable because he was making the statements of, you've, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And he said that you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say that if you look upon someone else with lust in your heart, then you've already committed the act. You're already guilty of it. And Paul is making this statement. He says, sexual impurity. Then he talks about coarse joking. Then he talks about slanderous talk. He talks about all of these things as shouldn't even be named among us. Why? Because these are issues of the heart. Greed is an issue of the heart. Wanting and coveting things is an issue of the heart. It's a a desire of us inwardly, and what that is supposed to be is our heart is supposed to desire God. Create in me a pure heart and renew in me a steadfast spirit is what the psalmist declares. So anything that our hearts desire beyond God is an idol. It's not just a sin, it's something, it's not just willful disobedience, it's something that we're actually placing above God. And that our focus is taken off of God and onto these things. That's what Paul's telling us to do here. Exalt God with your life. Don't exalt idols. Next, we see he he instructs us to exhibit light, not darkness. Exhibit light and not darkness. Because again, we're going back to this concept that you once were darkness, but now you're light. That's the identity change that's taken place in our lives as believers. And now this this doesn't mean that we... I've I've tried to figure out the best way to say this all week, and I I don't know exactly if I'm going to be able to put proper terminology behind it, but how many of you, and I would love to see a show of hands, how many of you this past week went without sin? Yeah. So there's elements of us that we fight against this, this flesh, this darkness. Again, it's not talking about You once were in darkness, but you are now in light. It is you once were darkness, and you now are light. If we go back to Romans chapter 6, you know, Paul's built, he writes Romans, and he's giving this amazing, amazing, you know, writing about the power of, and the goodness and the grace of God and how powerful the grace is. And he kind of almost writes himself into a corner 
Because I think at the end of chapter 5, Paul's kind of recognizing the, hey, I'm making this grace sound really, really good to the point that people could think that I'm giving them a license to sin because grace will cover it. Does that sound like any, any teaching that we may hear today? Grace isn't a license to sin. So Paul recognizes this, and then in chapter 6, he begins by saying, so does that mean that I should sin more, that I should continue in sin so that grace may abound? And he says, certainly not. Absolutely not. Why? Because he says, dead men can't sin. You see, there's been a death that took place. Whenever there was an identity switch, when we move from the identity of darkness into light, darkness had to die, and light came in. Just as in the Garden of Eden, there was a death that took place. There was a spiritual death upon that initial sin. Now, does that remove the ability or the capability to sin? No. See, what God's grace does when we move into light and that becomes our identity, then our nature has changed. We no longer have the sinful nature. We are his. We are made righteous through his death, burial, and his resurrection. That doesn't mean that we, have, we no longer have the ability to sin. We can still fall into sin. Our flesh can still rise up. That's just not our nature anymore. And that's what he's instructing us here to do is like, do not walk in darkness. Don't partake in that stuff any longer. Walk in light. That's still available to you. That's still an option for you. You still have, you still have within you the capability to sin. It's just no longer your nature because God's Holy Spirit dwells in you now. So exhibit light not darkness, and in your conversations, in the way that you conduct yourself, in the way that you work, in the way that you are at home, in the way that you are here at church, in the way that you are on social media, ask yourself, <laughs> at the, as the way you are at sporting events, it was a little uncomfortable there on a couple of those chuckles. I was like, uh -huh. Has he been at the games? What's going on here? At sporting events, exhibit light and not darkness. The third thing, expose sin. Don't participate in it. Verse 11, as we're getting this, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Exhibit light, not darkness. It says, but instead, expose them and we've got to be really careful here because we have to make sure we, we are commanded to expose sin especially within the church here's where i'm going to issue my reminder once again that this letter is written to the church it's not written to the world it's written to the church. And Paul will actually articulate this even more so into the church at Corinth when he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He was like, 
make sure to judge your brothers and sisters the sin as he's going through some of these same situations addressing them in the church at Corinth of sexual immorality within the church he was like please do not sweep the sin under the rug in the church call them out judge one another on your sins and he even goes as far as to say don't worry about judging what the world is doing that's God's responsibility and I know we've said this before in here, but we've got that backwards. We believe that in the church, don't dare call me out on anything that I'm doing in my life. Don't be holier than thou. Don't be judgmental to me. Don't call me out because I know the sin in your life. That's a no-go in current church cultures. But we feel like we've got the right, and we feel like it's our responsibility to tell the world what they're doing wrong. Again, that's not, a, it's not a license for us to sweep anything under the rug and act like we don't need to be a voice of what's right and what's wrong. But when we're exposing sin, we need to make sure that we're doing so in the right heart, with the right motive, with the purpose being their restoration to God. It's not just exposing sin by shouting out at them and to shout aloud from the rooftops their transgressions so that we can be calling it out. It's a matter of lovingly going to a brother and sister in Christ and addressing things that may not be helping them in their relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about with exposing sin sin exposing the wrong is go to one another in love with the goal of restoration in mind so how do we walk in light what are some things that we learn from this scripture about walking in light well i believe in verse 7 we see that we don't join in darkness and i've got this list up here if you wouldn't mind to put that up there for me christy don't join in darkness again we've talked about this right wrong good bad <laughs> what we currently are versus what we were before Christ don't join in darkness next I think in verse 8 we see that we live from our identity of this understanding that we have a Savior who is far more powerful than what we are. Amen? We have a Savior that's far more powerful than what we are. And while we have our moments of weakness, while we have our moments of failure and fault, and most of the time, if you're like me, those are far more frequent than what you hoped that they would be. We have an identity in Jesus Christ that is light and not darkness. Next, I believe in verse 9, do what is good, right, and true. Do what is good, right, and true. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good, all that is right, and all that is true. That's what the Spirit looks like in our life when we're walking in light. It looks good. It looks right, and it looks true. And next, in verse 10, please the Lord. Please the Lord. 
and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Does it bring glory to God? Does it honor and glorify his name? What I say, what I do, the conversations I have, my business transactions, my dealings, the way that I work, the way that I am with my family, the way that I am with my friends. Is it pleasing to God? Does it glorify him? You see, one of the biggest things that the enemy wants you to do, if he can't, if he can't stop you from serving God, if he can't stop you from being a Christian, then the one thing that he will want to do is he will want to try to distract you as often as he possibly can to get your focus off of God. We have anybody in here that has like a history with horses, training horses, raising horses, anything with horses? Did you ride the horses at Kmart uh, when you were growing up? Okay. Because even those had these on here, okay? All right. They put blinders on horses. You want to know why they put blinders on horses? Because they want them focused on directly where they're pointing them, where they're controlling them to look. They want them to see directly in front of them. Because if they don't have the blinders on, then they're going to get distracted. And yeah, I debated on telling this story, but I, w I had like a wild, wild west moment one time. And I know that you're all just wanting to hear this. We were on vacation, and I was probably 13, 14 years old. And we decided to go on a horseback ride. And we, we were like in, I, don't, I, I can't remember if we were in South Dakota, Wyoming. I mean, I was like, it's a beautiful place. So they put me on a horseback. My family's there with me, my dad and my mom. And we're riding along, and, and they're telling us about this importance of making sure that you only kind of steer the reins and point the horse in the direction that you want it to go. Well, me, in the infinite wisdom of a 13 to 14-year-old, about halfway through this ride, I get bored. I'm like, well, let's just see what happens. So I'm taking it as we're kind of going along, and I just start. And that horse's head just going back and forth. Finally, either the horse got confused or, more likely, it was just tired of me doing that. It took off in like this Lone Ranger kind of sprint on this open field toward a cliff. I blacked out. I don't know exactly what happened, but I remember the horse finally stopping. And I began at that point to understand why it was important for this horse to only be looking where we wanted it to go. And you know what, I think the same is true with our lives. I think that the more that you and I get distracted and our head moves back and forth and maybe the blinders aren't on, maybe we don't have the spiritual blinders that we need, I think that that cliff gets closer and closer the less that we focus on God. And I think that the less that we focus on God, the quicker 
we move towards that cliff. Thankfully, at this point in our lives, right now we're here and we have the opportunity, if God hasn't already pulled the reins on us from going over that cliff, you have that opportunity this morning. Because I don't believe, and this is just my thoughts, I don't believe that our enemy is brazen enough to get directly between us and God. I think that we face an enemy that dances in the periphery of our life. He's dancing out here. He's trying. If we're gazing at God straight ahead, he's over here trying to get us to take our focus away from God and move it on to him. See, and that happens. That happens with relationships. That happens with addictions. That happens when we're consumed with something. That happens with our checkbooks. That happens with our careers. That can happen with our families. That can happen within the church here. and Maybe a situation that we're not happy with here at church. It can happen with a global pandemic followed by a tension-filled election in the midst of social justice outcries. It can happen in the midst of media stirring us to divide against one another. It can happen in a resurgence of positive COVID-related cases when we thought we were done with it. It can happen when people that we have loved for years maybe set behind or beside in church for years, all of a sudden we're discovering they have different opinions than we do. Folks, can I just say this, that if your news feed or your news source is causing you to have ill feelings towards your brothers and sisters in Christ, turn it off. Please, turn it off. If you're allowing differences of opinion, if you're thinking that this person has a different ideology than me and I can't be connected with them, I can't be part of their lives anymore, and you're looking at another blood-bought child of God, get your priorities straight. Because nothing here on this earth is worth gambling our eternity with. Amen? And God wants restoration to take place. He wants unity restored. And he wants to see his church, his bride, the one that he laid down his life for. He wants to see us walking in unity and walking in light. Because each and every one of us, no matter how different we are, how different we were, how different we're going to be moving forward. We all have one thing in common. We all stand in need of a Savior because we can't save ourselves. I want to ask the praise team, if they would, to come back up this morning. Walk in light. You once were darkness, but now you are light. And that light in your life's name is Jesus Christ. It's only through him that we have the possibility, that we have the capability, that we have any hope is in Jesus Christ.
Christ. Walk in that light.